0: Now, don't get me wrong. Off-season really just means not in show prep. It doesn't really mean off completely in that you should become one with your couch. Is bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. The lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm going to talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm going to answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, 5 Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know before your next show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com What's up, guys? Chances are, if you aren't planning to compete in the IFBB Olympia in a couple of weeks, you are officially in your off-season from bodybuilding shows. You may have your sights on a spring show, but as of right now, you aren't in prep mode preparing for it. You might be in a mental hibernation of sorts from bodybuilding and contest prep. Your mind is focused on other things like holiday parties, and you probably have Mariah Carey's song, All I Want for Christmas, stuck in your head, guaranteed to be there for the next month or so, too. I understand wanting to take a mental break, so if my message was something like, there is no off-season, and suck it up, buttercup, one of you might be like, yeah, suck it up, and then probably the majority of you would be like, yeah, no, I'm going to be over here, thanks. Maybe 10 years ago, I might have said there is no off-season, until I learned it didn't do me any good. I remember being in beast mode during the holiday season, completely obsessed about a show that wasn't until late the following year. On days when it was 20 degrees and windy, I was outside sprinting up my steep driveway. There was a school nearby with steep hills, too, so even if it was muddy or a little snowy, I would wrap my sneakers in yak tracks so I could grip the hills while sprinting them. I'm pretty sure I was sprinting hills Thanksgiving morning, too. I really thought that if I gave it my all, full throttle, that I could make the improvements needed to win a pro championship title the following year. Fast forward to the show that year, and my body was burnt out, I had torn a hamstring, and in my opinion, my improvements were just meh. Imagine, a year of beast mode and my improvements were meh. Of course, I crashed after this show from mental and physical fatigue, but I needed to. Plus, I really needed to learn how to work towards a goal in a more systematic way. Over the past 10 years, since this psycho off-season mentality, a lot has changed for me, and I have learned a lot of lessons. I wish I could go back to that person 10 years ago and guide her out of shows and put her on a plan that was sustainable and would actually yield results, too. It is possible. I know that for sure now, and I like that I have a very positive relationship with food and exercise. Now, don't get me wrong. Off-season really just means not in show prep. It doesn't really mean off completely in that you should become one with your couch, If you want to keep your hard-earned muscle, you need to keep stimulating it and feeding it. So at the very least, get some lifting in. In fact, the latest study by Dr. Campbell at his physique lab at the University of South Florida showed that there was a greater difference in muscle gain when training two days a week versus training three days a week. Imagine. Number of sets and reps for the week was the same between the two study groups. The only difference was the frequency of training and whether the work was done over two days or spread over three. This is just one study, and there are other studies that show different results. However, the takeaway here is that if you are only training two times a week, you are still doing something, and it is not a waste of time. I feel like we make this idea of working out to be this big deal, this huge undertaking that you need to be mentally prepared to do, or you just won't do it. Think about how many people are about to get motivated to start something in January after the holidays, and how fast they burn out and never show up. Bonus points to the gym if they prepaid for six months or a year and don't show up past January. If it were me, and I was completely new to working out, and I went to my first boot camp class ever, I might never work out again either. Feeling my heart wanting to explode after five minutes of a circuit of exercises that has me moving around like a maniac is no fun. Going from couch to a heart rate of 180 would solidify my destiny of never getting in shape in my life, ever. Think about how exercise is portrayed to kids, too. Remember the one-mile run in gym class? That dreadful day they made you time how fast you could run one mile? There was always that one kid, Kevin, who runs all the time. So he ran the mile in six minutes like it was nothing. Freaking Kevin. The rest of us miserably jogged for like 12 minutes with moments of walking due to a cramp in our side. Kevin went on to run marathons as an adult, while the rest of us still don't run on purpose. Why? Because we learned in gym class that running one mile was dreadful. We didn't learn that if we want to run a mile and be good at it, we should start by getting better at running and maybe start with and master a quarter mile first and build up to a mile. Maybe if gym class spent four weeks building us up to a mile, I might have smoked Kevin in the one mile run and not still to this day dislike running. Just like with general fitness, there is all this all or nothing approach to bodybuilding too. You are either eating on plan or you aren't. You are getting your cardio in or you aren't. You are getting your weightlifting in or you aren't. But do you know what makes a bodybuilder a really great bodybuilder? Time and consistency. My favorite phrase is by Dr. Mike T. Nelson, and it goes, better is better. Doing something is better than nothing. Why? Because over time, there is a compound effect, and next thing you know, you've got results. Isn't that a better scenario than doing nothing and getting no results? Better means you can do something and not have to have your pedal to the metal. You won't dread better. Better is doable. So if you are post-show and feeling total burnout, do something, not nothing. Definitely not high-intensity cardio or anything that you might dread doing or stress that will stress you more than you are already feeling. At the very least, get your lifting in over a couple of days a week and take more days off from the formality of a gym. Focus on movement, not cardio. When I formally coached people out of contest prep, I would have them take up a different form of exercise to get their movement in post-show. Maybe it was yoga, Pilates, or something completely different, like jujitsu jitsu or dance classes. For me, I really like walking outdoors. I find this time of year, when it gets dark at like 5 p.m., that being outdoors in the sunlight charges my battery. Here in Las Vegas, we have Red Rock nearby, and Vasilios and I love to drive there. There is something special about that place. There's, there's like a sound difference, too, like almost a higher-pressure feeling and a silence in your ears in the air there. Feeling and smelling the crispness of the air does wonders for me. Back in Connecticut, we had a lake nearby that we would bundle up and walk to, too. Even if it was like 20 degrees out, we layered up and went outside. Once you get moving, it doesn't feel as cold. If it's windy, well, we would make the walk just shorter that day. We still did something. Walking outside is my thing, but what about you? What have you always wanted to try doing? Now is the time. Cardio is just a controlled way of getting in movement. It makes sense to have as much measured and controlled variables as possible when you're bringing your body fat down to crazy low numbers. But when you're not in shredding mode, you don't need formal cardio on the same step mill you've been on for the last six months. You just need to move. There are more TLC things you can do while transitioning from prep mode to off-season. In fact, I may change the phrase off-season to post-show rehab. Let's start with diet. Some of you are coming back from 800-calorie protocols, or maybe your calories weren't that low, but your food selection was limited in order to better control your macros. You might have a post-show program given to you by your coach that dials you out of a show, and some coaches might slowly drag you out of a calorie deficit, while other coaches who follow scientists that suggest moving things along a little quicker, they'll bring your calories up higher much faster and then level you off. Which one works best for you really depends on which one you can adhere to. If you're given a couple hundred calorie increase and you keep binging, then obviously that plan isn't going to work for you since your binges will bring in much more than a couple hundred calories. If a quick rise keeps you from binging and you feel better faster, then that's the right plan for you. For me, being able to cook less was key. I purposely would add in these certain meal replacements every day that are loaded with vitamins. I would have two of them a day, and that gave me 72 grams of protein, 44 grams of carbs, which included 12 grams of fiber and 12 grams of fat. Each meal replacement has like 400 milligrams of potassium, 30 to 40% of my daily vitamin A, C, calcium, tons of B vitamins, really good stuff. So I would anchor my day with these shakes and then I added meals around them. I'm not sure if it was the vitamins or what, but I can honestly say having them nip my cravings in the bud. I won't say which meal replacement I had because this is not about inserting a product placement into this episode. I'm telling you what worked for me and that I think nutritional deficiencies contribute to cravings and binges. You are probably lacking in certain nutrients and you need to fill those gaps or your body's going to tell you through cravings that there is an imbalance of sorts. Not into meal replacements? Then anchor your day with your protein numbers. Make it a point to at least get your protein in. Heading to a holiday party and you want to have some snacks there? Have some protein before you leave and save the carbs and the fats for the party. Make protein a priority. Speaking of food choices, if your diet has been bland and you have been eating the same foods every day, now is the time to swap things out for new foods and to upgrade your Walmart vitamins. With bland foods, you probably weren't getting in a lot of sodium too. Saying I salt my food isn't the same as saying I added half a teaspoon of salt to my meals. Personally, I found that adding into my water these packets I buy with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium before and during my workouts works wonders for me. No other ingredients, no fancy pants stuff, no tingles, just plain potassium, magnesium, and sodium. Again, I'm not gonna product place here. I'm just telling you the facts on things that work for me. I have a noticeable difference in my energy and my cardiovascular system, and my blood pressure doesn't skyrocket. I remember a time when I was in contest prep years ago and got lightheaded in a workout and overall felt like death. I thought it was a blood sugar drop, so I had a banana. It didn't touch the feeling. In hindsight, knowing what I know now, I was in need of sodium, not sugar. So moral of this, during your TLC season, swap out your vitamins for a more potent brand and increase your salt intake. Measure it. New studies show three to five grams of salt a day is something to shoot for. Also, swap out your regular foods for something different to try and pull in different sources of vitamins from foods too. Been eating oatmeal? Try barley. Test out new foods and make eating food interesting again. Let's talk about booze. I've tested different theories with booze after a show. I've tested having wine at my post-show meal, and I've tested waiting a few weeks post-show to have any booze at all. And today, I could give or take it. Honestly, I find the sluggish feeling the next day is just not worth it. Plus, it slows my metabolism down to a crawl, and I gain weight too easily, like instantly. It's just not worth it for me. But that wasn't always the case, though. When I had wine at post-show meals, I found it harder to maintain balance with my overall nutrition after the show. I also found that after a couple of weeks I would crave it during the day and that really bothered me. After shows, when I would wait to have any wine or drinks for a while, I found that the post-show experience was overall better. I think it has to do with the stress levels leading up to and immediately after a show. Alcohol being a depressant, it kind of makes makes it feel like you're relaxing yourself and de-stressing, which is exactly what your body needs after a show, so it makes you feel good, but it is a toxin and it's actually adding more stress and by nature Drinking alcohol makes you want to drink more alcohol. It has a way of creeping up on you. You aren't a bad person. It's a drug, and just like sugar is a drug, it'll make you want more once it's hooked you. This isn't a good combination after a show. If you continue adding drinks beyond a post-show meal or two, you are likely setting yourself up to gain more weight post-show than you anticipated. Now, I'm not a scientist, but in layman's terms... Alcohol turns to acetate in your body, which is its own fuel source. So basically, you are burning this fuel source before you are burning the rest of your fuel sources. And it's a creeper. So it has a way of making you want more of it, too. So it's not the calories, it's the way it metabolizes that's the problem. A post show drink isn't a big deal if you can give or take it the day after. If you're someone that finds yourself craving alcohol once you start drinking it, then I would wait a few weeks until your body levels out after a show to have a drink or two. If it's too late and you've already gone on a bender post show, then Hear what I'm saying about how it will contribute to unnecessary weight gain if gone unchecked. And then think about your goals for the upcoming year and whether or not extra body fat makes sense. Start tapering it down today. Swap out alcohol for a different drink and make the glass or the cup look fancy. Maybe you can change your daily schedule and your pattern so you have new things to look forward to that will replace how you look forward to drinking. Or start doing something else at night where maybe someone holds you accountable. In fact, you might only know me as someone who teaches posing, but I have been training people for 20 years as well, including a Mrs. Connecticut USA title winner. I have posing clients that like to switch things up in their off season and meet with me online for personal training sessions. We work on muscle imbalances with their physique, and it's turned out to be a great change for them that keeps them motivated and accountable doing something different. Moving on to post-show goals. This is super important. The giant crescendo leading up to your show has come to a halt and life goes on. After the show, you may or may not have a new show in sight, plus you might be feeling some disappointment if you didn't place as well as you hoped. Let's face it, only one person wins a show. I talked in depth about post-show blues on an earlier episode because the struggle is real, but in this episode, I'm going to be less dramatic, and I'm going to talk more about the transitioning to off-season depending on whether your goal is to get tighter for your next show, if your goal is to build more muscle for your next show, or maybe you want to improve your posing and stage presence after you scored maybe one or three placements lower last season from your Hot Mess Express performance on stage. First things first, let's say your feedback from the judges was you weren't lean enough. By the way, if they said you're holding water, let me just tell you that what they really meant to say is you weren't lean enough. So let's talk about getting lean. The secret to getting lean is more time. Weren't lean enough? Then you didn't diet long enough. It's that simple. So here you are in between shows, and you may want to do a show in the spring. If so, you cannot afford to gain excess weight right now because it will require you more time to lose it, and you won't make it to show lean enough in time unless you do something dramatic, which brings its own consequences. The leaner you stay in between shows, the faster you can get leaner for the next show. If you put on more body fat than you anticipated, then focus on waiting another six months to do a show instead. Don't rush it. Give yourself the time to get Shreddy ready. If you can't commit to staying lean and you're struggling right now, then you aren't ready to prepare for a show shows will always be there. Heck, my posing client Bill, he's turning 75. There's plenty of time to do shows. Now, what if your feedback was you need more muscle? If you need to build more muscle and you're thinking of a show in the spring, I'm sorry to say it, but you should rethink spring and consider fall or winter next year. A noticeable difference in muscle growth does not occur in a month or two of training unless you're on PEDs. And PEDs is a whole separate discussion. If you train without them like me, PEDs that is, then you need to put in the time and consistency to grow muscle. If you need to build muscle to be competitive, you are wasting your time thinking about a spring show. You won't look any different on stage. You won't. Ideally, you should give yourself a year to build if you need an overall size increase. In my opinion, if you need a little more muscle and not a complete overhaul, then give yourself no less than six months of consistency to make a difference. You don't need to get fat to do this. There is a misconception that you have to go through this crazy bulk to build muscle. You need a caloric surplus, yes, but how much shouldn't be so much that you now have to shed 50 pounds to get to stage? To lose 50 pounds, you would need no less than six months of dieting, and that's being nice. That's a lot of dieting. When you diet, you don't just magically keep all the muscle you built. Again, I'm talking about non-PED users. When you diet, you lose some muscle, too. Diet harder, you lose more muscle. All those precious gains you had while bulking up 50 pounds, they're compromised when you diet. You need enough fuel and progressive overload to build muscle, not a ton of excess body fat. How much fuel is individual, but overall my point is don't get fat and lift consistently for 6 to 12 months to make noticeable improvements to your muscle mass. And lastly, if your feedback was your posing and stage presence needs work, then you should be doing a little every day to tackle this project. Don't wait, start yesterday. Especially, especially if posing doesn't come natural to you. Every single person I've worked with for the past 10 years underestimated how long it takes to learn how to pose in a way that looks best on them. Look, you can go to a posing clinic put on by the federations and learn the mechanics of the poses you need to do on stage. You can even come to one of my virtual clinics that run weekly year-round at learntopose.com/virtualclinic. slash virtual clinic. You can even come to one of my virtual clinics that I run weekly and year-round at learn virtualclinic slash virtual clinic, and I'll teach you live online everything you need to know to pose for your federation and your division. Now, clinics will give you an overview of expectations, but they don't teach you how to be great at posing. Now, mine are different than other clinics because I teach you how to think like a competitor too. However, at the end of the day, you need consistent training with your posing skills for the movements to become one with your body. If you're willing to spend on making yourself great, you can hire someone like me to work with you one-on-one, two to three times a week. I can do an overhaul with two to three times a week sessions. Text me 702-637-0091 to get started. But keep in mind, one-off posing lessons won't do the trick. Those that came to me once in a while never got better. There was too much time in between lessons. Every time they came back for a lesson, I was reteaching them the same stuff we worked on the previous lesson. If you plan to do one-on-one lessons, plan to do them frequently for best results. If you don't have that kind of budget, then I would suggest you come to my signature weekly posing fundamentals classes for all divisions. Go to weeklyposing.com and get started. You will practice the exact skills you need to become great at posing and stage presence in a live group environment. And I'm there every week, holding you accountable too, which can be a great motivational tool in your off-season. Practicing on your own in the quiet and privacy of your own space comes with risks. When you're on stage, you guys, there's pressure. When you're practicing on your own, there isn't. So you might get better at movement, but you're not going to get better at stage persona. Another reason why you should consider my weekly classes if the judges told you that you're posing in stage presence needs work. Now, one final thought is for those of you that do use PEDs, I don't know much about the specifics of each PED, having no experience with them myself, but from what I do know from my interviews here with experts on the show, you should highly consider cycling them. Many people, both men and women, who come off anabolics will notice a serious change in their energy and drive. That's a consistent feedback that I'm getting everywhere. This can become a deterrent because you might be tempted to stay on them so that you don't lose that energy and drive. Coming off of them is going to allow your body to try and regulate its own natural production of hormones. And if having kids is something you want in life, this is absolutely essential. Losing the ability to have children is a real thing. Also, the toxicity of some of these substances is real too, and removing them from your system so your body can heal itself is something you should really consider too. In addition, for women, elephant in the room, I'm going to go ahead and say it. You see yourself every day in the mirror, and you might not notice the subtle side effects the drugs are having on your face and your body. Women are very sensitive to the androgens in anabolics, and the effects will be different for each person. Bodybuilding might not be the sport you do for the rest of your life, but your face, your body, and health are something you will carry with you forever. The more time on anabolics, the more these side effects will compound, and the more male characteristics you might acquire. Instead of thinking about coming off anabolics as dreadful, think about it as if you were doing a recalibration to your body and your mind. Okay, guys, I hope you use this time over the next month or so to take really good care of yourselves. I'm going to be coming out with more episodes of my new series, Meet the Federations over the coming months, and I have some really great guests lined up for the series. In the meantime, I am here to help you. After your shows, year-round, I'm here to help. From clinics to weekly posing classes, one-on-one posing, one-on-one training for people who are looking for something different, and even customized training and nutrition protocols, I've got you covered. Go to learntopose.com, scroll down to the services section, and you're going to learn all about all of these services. And as always, guys, let the podcast people know that you like this podcast and it's important if you could like, share, subscribe, all that goodness. I'd appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Talk to you soon. Ever wonder if you are posing correctly for your division? Learn to Pose is dedicated to taking out the guesswork on how to pose for all categories in bodybuilding. Learn five ways you can improve your posing skills in five minutes guaranteed at www.learntopose.com. There are free posing tutorials available for the bikini, figure, and men's physique categories. More on the way for other divisions in bodybuilding. It's free, so go access your free posing tutorial for bikini, figure, or men's physique at learntopose.com.